This week on Political Research Digest, anti-immigration politics is California's past, America's future. For the Discannon Center, I'm Matt Grossman. Many say California Republicans' anti-immigration ballot initiatives in the 1990s lost them a Latino vote and set the party on the road to ruin. Is Trump leading national Republicans down the same failed path? New research finds that the propositions were not the tipping point with Republicans starting to lose ground with Latinos beforehand and feeling the brunt of their shifts only with the next generation. I talked to Iris Hui of Stanford University about her new study with David Sears, published in Political Behavior, called Reexamining the Effect of Racial Propositions on Latinos' Partisanship in California. Another new study maintains the conventional story on California, but says Arizona's experience might hold more promise for national Republicans. I also talked to Joshua Zinger about his recent study with Gregory Robinson, Jonathan Krasno, and Michael Allen, published in Politics, Groups, and Identities, called Creating a Racially Polarized Electorate. They find that California Republicans lost Latinos without gaining whites, but anti-immigration politics in Arizona gained Republicans white voters. California Prop 187 in 1994 denied public services to those who immigrated illegally. Prop 209 in 1996 limited affirmative action and Prop 227 in 1998 limited bilingual education. All passed in quick succession, but Hui collected all field polls and found little evidence that the proposals immediately changed Latino partisanship. A lot of people say 187 was the turning point in California politics because of the way that the Republican Party come out in support of the 187. So people believe that caused the Republican uh, support in the state of California. But then uh, what we find is quite the opposite. So actually among the registered voters, uh, we didn't really find a much you know, significant effect on the partisanship. So that, uh, Republican um, support in the state, especially among Latino, has been decreasing over time. And that decrease just started you know, before 187. Um, the heyday for the Republican Party was around um, the, the Gulf War, the senior Bush you know, administration, uh, and then it started declining well before 187. So uh, 187 is just kind of like you know one of the you know steps in the process that uh, led to a you know kind of a decline of the Republican Party in the state of California, but it is not the tipping point in making you know the transition. They're arguing against a strong conventional wisdom that blames these polarizing initiatives. I believe that because of the rhetoric, I'm sorry, the radical rhetoric uh, during the campaign, so they think it has a mobilization uh, effort. And then we also see, you know, like during that time, there were a lot of, you know, protests, you know, mass, mass scale, um, you know, demonstration uh, to support or, you know, either support or against 187. And so um, the conventional wisdom was that, you know, their proposition must have been kind of like, you know, be uh, a tipping point or a a thickening event, mobilize the Latinos for political participation. But based on long-running political science, partisanship should not be easy to change. We know that partisanship is stable throughout one's lifetime. So we know that, you know, like partisanship started very early on, you know, some of them, you know, people learn from their parents, from socialization, and then they develop that, you know, as adolescents and then as uh, young adults. And then once they start voting in elections, you know, their partisanship tends to become stable over time. And after a couple of elections, we know that, you know, party ID, you know, pretty much set in, in, in one's life. 
So even though, you know, there is, you know, still the, you know, the Fiorina's argument that, you know, uh, party ID can be a running tally, so people can update their party ID. But then it seems like, you know, like if from the work by Eric Schickler and uh, Don Green, um, we know that party ID is mostly stable throughout one's lifetime. And so, you know, if that is the case, you know, if party ID remains stable throughout one's lifetime, then, you know, the, the puzzle comes in. Is that uh, why do we see you know Latinos suddenly you know switching from uh, being a Republican to a Democrat? That shouldn't be the case. That's kind of like you know how we started the project. We agree that in the long term there may still have been an effect on future voters. One question is that you know like did Proposition 187 per se uh, led to a tipping point? Did, did, did the changes you know occur before and after you know 187? And I think, you know, the answer is definitely no. We didn't see, you know, like, as, you know, this 187 as a major event that changed partisanship. Rather, you know, what we argue, especially if you look at figure one and two, is this, like, over time trend that was kind of, like, you know, partly a result of demographic movement, demographic shifts in the population, and partly, you know, the result of, you know, people responding to political parties, you know, how they shift in their ideology over time. So what we are arguing is that, you know, if you kind of like look at the uh, Republican Party and, and kind of like understand, you know, their fortune in the state of California, they have their heyday in the Bush administration, you know, during the Gulf War. But then since then, you know, the economy kind of tanked. And then, you know, you start to see the demise of the Republican Party in the state. And then also because uh, the Republican Party has, you know, started to switch from more, you know, move to more social conservative positions that doesn't resonate with the voters in the state. And so what you get is that, you know, people are moving away from the Republican Party well before 187. The next Latino generation was quite a bit more Democratic, though still not as much as Latinos were in the 1970s and 1980s in California. There is a generational gap, and then the generational gap seems to have widened over time. And then uh, you also see, you know, Latinos, you know, the younger ones, less likely to, you know, to uh, identify with the Republican Party over time. And that is the composition effect that we see in California. We and Sears looked at three different data sources to assess the impact of the propositions. You see that, you know, the points actually jumps up and down a lot. So we worry that, you know, maybe because of the inaccuracy of the data or maybe, you know, or if the insufficient sample size in the data. So we may not be capturing, you know, the right, you know, estimate. So that's why we moved to um, the two other data sources. One is the exit poll and then the other is the uh, statewide database uh, registration data. So we want to see, you know, we want to triangulate, you know, our data to see whether we find the same effect, you know, with the two other data sets. So what we see is that, you know, uh, with the exit poll, we compare the California estimates with the adjacent states. And then we don't really see a, we don't really see a, you know, big difference, uh, in the party registration. So, and then, uh, when we look at the statewide database data, uh, it's even more telling because the statewide database data actually, you know, cover all the registered voters in the state. And what we find is actually a pretty stable result over time. You know, we don't see 187 as a tipping point. They also looked at adjacent states, finding similar patterns in Latino partisanship. We try to do a limited kind of, like, you know, like adjacent state studies because we want to have a natural experiment. 
So the idea is that, you know, if we see an impact in California, the impact would be strongest in California, and then it will have a kind of like, you know, relatively weaker residual effect in the adjacent states. But what we see is not the case. You know, we didn't really find much of a difference, you know, compare um, California with, with adjacent states. Hui says there's also not much evidence of effects on white voters. Republicans had already mobilized their base. Wilson was actually pretty successful in mobilizing, you know, the hardcore white Republican base. And then we do see, you know, a strong support among the base, and then uh, that support didn't decrease after 187. So the story for, you know, the Republican Party is that, you know, uh, it's very important to rally that base with some controversial issues. And white voters changed little after the ballot propositions. We noticed that, uh, you know, the white voters did, was not turned away by 187. So there were, you know, some, you know, um, suggestions, you know, I think, you know, in the conventional wisdom that, you know, because of the you know, radical rhetoric, you know, the Republican Party actually turned away the white voters in the state of California. And that is not true. You know, this is not what we find in our data. Uh, so I think, you know, in that perspective, then, you know, we, then our results actually, you know, collaborate, you know, with our, their stories that we don't see special effects in California. But Joshua Zinger found a different pattern comparing California and Arizona. Arizona anti-immigration politics took the form of SB 1070, a bill passed by the legislature to enable police to enforce federal immigration laws. Latinos reacted similarly in both states, but whites reacted very differently. Groups react uh, in the ballot box, or groups respond in the ballot box uh, to legislation or ballot initiatives that they feel target them unfairly. Uh, and I think there's clear evidence that this happened in California, and I think there's clear evidence that this happened in Arizona. Now, the effects in terms of partisan balance in the state is really what separates California from Arizona. In California, in the early 1990s, it was largely considered a swing state, and post uh, Proposition 187 in 1994 and several subsequent ballot propositions after that, uh, the state has, with the combination of uh, increased Latino voting power and a white electorate that is a little more democratic than uh, the national white electorate, uh, has moved into a state that is no longer a swing state and is a solid demo solidly democratic state. The presidential elections, statewide elections, uh, up and down the ballot. Arizona's story is a little different. Um, here, uh, post SB 1070, which passed in 2010, um, Latinos in Arizona did move uh, towards the Democratic Party. But we saw, uh, unlike we saw, uh, saw in California, we also saw Republicans move towards, uh, excuse me, whites move towards the Republican Party. Uh, which had the effect of, of largely canceling each other out and Republicans uh, staying in control of state uh, politics. Uh, you've seen Republicans continue to win uh, statewide elections. Zinger says most California research does show effects, but they mostly took the form of registration and new voters and changes in presidential voting rather than partisanship. There is a consensus in most but not all research regarding the effects of Proposition 187 that the Proposition 187 and Proposition 209, which followed it, helped to push Latinos into the Democratic column. And there's a number of pieces of evidence you can point to that speaks to this. Uh, Latinos' preferences for voting for Democrats increased, as did turnout and as did registration. Uh, so you kind of had a threefold uh, break of Latinos uh, towards the Democratic Party. More were registering to vote, 
more were actually turning more voters who registered were actually turning out and those who did register uh, were voting for Democrats. Uh, I think there's a number of pieces of evidence there that are, are quite clear. If you look even between 1992 and 1996, uh, and Proposition 187 was passed in 1994, there was 500,000 new, newly registered Latino voters at that, uh, between those two elections, uh, which is a really, really big increase, bigger than the population of some states. Uh, so you think... Uh, there's a lot of evidence that Latinos responded to this ballot proposition. Normally, we think of partisans reacting to national politics, but Zinger says state politics influence is possible for new voters. Space, I think it's hard to separate uh, what's going on at the state level from what's going on at the national level. Normally, say we think of politics, you know, United States federal system time moving top down, right? You, you form preferences about presidential candidates, and then these preferences inform you know, your opinions of people. Uh, lower down on the ballot. Um, well, there's evidence that this can go both ways. In the sense, state politics can color uh, our perceptions of the political parties uh, on the national level. And I think this is especially true in the case uh, of Latinos, many of whom uh, are recent voters, and we have a lot of are recently uh, recent entrants into American politics, whether they're uh, first-generation immigrants, second-generation immigrants, um, and I think this is consequential because uh, we have lots of evidence suggesting uh, these groups' partisan attachments aren't uh, as nearly well-formed as uh, native-born whites or African-Americans or other groups that have been in the United States for a long time. Looking to the California experience, Democrats had expected big Arizona gains, but so far they've failed to materialize. There's a lot of optimism within the Obama campaign in 2012, and I think there was some also in the Clinton campaign in 2016 that Arizona might be in play. And you look at uh, some of our simulations, and you basically can take, they can be boiled down to this. If you assume that there's going to be an increase in Latino turnout, and there's going to be a greater likelihood that Latinos vote for the Democratic Party in response to uh, SB 1070, um, and you take into account that Latinos are a continually growing size of the state population. Uh, and you simulate this into the future, you can assess, well, what's the likelihood that Arizona will go blue? What we found is basically the future of Arizona is not necessarily going to be dictated as much by Latinos as it is amongst whites. Uh, even with the rapid population growth of Latinos, they're not, the state is not going to be a majority Latino state uh, for uh, the foreseeable future, I mean, certainly, certainly in uh, your lifetime, it's probably not going to hit that point. So the question is, well, how will what will whites do over the long term uh, in Arizona? If whites vote like they had in 2004, or 2000, uh, 1996, uh, if, they, if whites in Arizona return to those levels of Democratic support, then the state could easily go blue. If they stay where they were in 2012, uh, which they moved away from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party, uh, there's essentially no hope for the Democrats to win Arizona. Republican turnout advantages in Arizona kept Democrats from winning. Yes, they are winning more Latinos. Yes, Latinos are have become more likely to vote. But no, Latinos are not still not nearly as likely to vote as whites. Even as the group size increases, that turnout issue is still a big one. We're still... Uh, they've become more likely to turn out, but not nearly as likely as whites, especially older whites. And uh, if you do the math, 
if you can turn out at a much higher rate than the opposition, you can win despite having smaller group size. Nationally, Zinger says Republicans might have similar advantages to those in Arizona. Whites nationally are more likely to vote for the Republican Party than white people in California. So that's an automatic. Trump is sitting in a better position than Pete Wilson was 20 years ago, probably. If you do the math going into the foreseeable future, uh, Republicans can win if they win enough white people. Um, it might be tough, but it can happen. The counterargument there is Trump essentially threaded a needle. Uh, if you look at um, how difficult it is to win a win a presidential election while losing the popular vote by three million votes, that takes a really uh, favorable distribution of votes across states to win the Electoral College. Um, something he managed to do. I don't think he'll be able to win in 2020 with 45% of the popular vote, and so he's going to have to come up with another source of votes from somewhere. And where that somewhere is, I, I'm, well, I'm glad I don't have to answer that question. That's not my problem. But Hui says California's experience might suggest long-term effects that are difficult to reverse. I can see, you know, like the younger generation coming in, you know, will be, you know, less and less likely to identify with the Republican Party. And then, you know, they, you know, just, you know, think of this cohort, you know, 10 years from now, they will comprise a proportion of the electorate. What we will see is a kind of like a gradual decline because of Trump, because of the Republican Party, uh, you know, positions on the immigration issues, uh, you will see, you know, a decline in the general support for the Republican Party. And I think it's kind of also like, you know, a point of no return. Uh, you know, it started, you know, way in the 90s. And I don't think, you know, there is, you know, possibility of reversal. And Zinger agrees that Trump is taking Republicans down a high-risk path. Trump is essentially trotting out Pete Wilson's strategy on the national level. If you look at Pete Wilson, uh, his strategy was effective. He won re-election in 1994. The long-term story is not kind for Pete Wilson, who's saying he's the man that architect, was the architect of the Democratic majority in California. What will happen uh, to the Republican Party post-Trump? If you do, if you look at the demographic trends, the electorate becomes less white every year. And uh, even if you assume whites turn out at a higher rate than non-whites, uh, all of a sudden the window becomes narrower each subsequent election. And so you think if the electorate was about 28% non-white in 2016, maybe we're heading to 30 or 31% in 2020. Hui says it wasn't the ballot propositions, but the wider positioning of the Republican Party that brought its California downfall. We cannot really blame 187 as a critical point in the decline of the Republican Party. Rather, I think, you know, it's a story about um, the general, you know, composition of the state that is changing and also, you know, the, the National Party that are changing their positions uh, to more socially conservative positions that don't really resonate, you know, with uh, voters in the Californians. And Zinger says the policies don't actually have to hold up in court or be enacted for the symbolism to have an impact. It was passed uh, in 1994 by the voters, immediately got challenged in the courts, a number of different legal challenges. These things played out really for four years, and Greg Davis was elected governor in 1998, and one of his first things he did as governor as told the state attorneys to stop defending uh, Proposition 187 in court, and the courts eventually struck it down and it was null and void. And so the legacy of Prop 187 is a loss in the courts, yet we still saw all of these electoral ramifications, I would argue, electoral ramifications from this ballot proposition. 
Uh, SB 1070 has had uh, better luck in the courts, although certainly not perfect. The question is, is that enough to produce a change? I think it's really hard to for voters to attribute specific policy outcomes to specific parties or specific parties' decisions at particular points in time. It's really easy to identify the tenor and the tone of the messaging. A couple of examples, Trump's transgender ban in the military or the ban on immigrants coming in from specific countries that are linked to terrorism or supposedly linked to terrorism. You can think, all right, it might be less important whether these policies actually get implemented than signaling to voters about where I stand on these particular issues. But Hui reminds us not to believe the conventional wisdom without consulting the research. You know, it's important to kind of like, you know, go back and check the data. And I think, you know, what we are trying to do is use three different sets of data, use three different sets of methodologies, and then we try to, you know, ask the same question. And then they both all come to the consensus that, you know, there wasn't much of a, of a change. And I think, you know, this is an important lesson learned, you know, for me is to kind of like, you know, don't always, you know, believe in the conventional wisdom. There's a lot more to learn. Political Research Digest is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center and on iTunes. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Iris Hui and Joshua Zinger for joining me. Join us next time to find out whether public employee unions are tackling inequality or loading up states with debt, and why they're influential even in red states. 